The podcast world is growing bigger every day and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and we're adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow the Killer Instincts podcast once you're there. Hello, 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 you guys. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Today, as you can tell by the title, we are talking about an extremely high profile case. Today, we're diving in to the Menendez brothers. And if you have never heard of the Menendez brothers, we are talking about Lyle and Eric Menendez. Now, Lyle and Eric were charged with the first degree murder of their parents, Jose and Kitty Menendez. Yes, you did hear that right. They were charged with the first degree murder of their parents. And the reason that this case is so popular is because it shows on the outside a picture perfect family. You know, they have the money, they have the American dream, but on the inside and behind closed doors, there was way more going on than what meets the eye. And we are going to dive into all of that today. And as I go through into this case more thoroughly, we're going to discuss motives and we're going to discuss why they did what they did and why they say they did what they did. And this this is a case that I personally always knew of. Like I always have heard about it. I've seen it on TV. I've seen pictures of Lyle and Eric and I knew that they killed their parents. And like, that's just basically all I knew, but I never knew the details of what happened. And when I looked into it and I did my research, I was blown away by what was underneath the surface of all of this. And that's why I really wanted to take the time to cover it today. So let's talk about Eric and Lyle first. So Lyle Menendez was born on January 10th, 1968. He was actually born as Joseph Lyle Menendez, but just went by his middle name, Lyle. And Eric Menendez was born on November 27th of 1970. Now, Eric and Lyle were the sons of Jose Enrique Menendez and Mary Louise Anderson. Now, Mary Louise Anderson went by Kitty. And Jose was born in Cuba. And when he was 16 years old, he ended up moving to the United States. He wanted to be super successful and was also very, very driven. He was not going to let anyone get in the way of his success. And so he ended up meeting Kitty at Southern Illinois University where they both attended and the two of them got married in college in 1963. Kitty was beautiful. She was beautiful on the outside, but her brother described her as being even more beautiful on the inside. After Kitty and Jose got married, they ended up moving to New York and Jose earned an accounting degree and they had their first son Lyle. Kitty's dream was always to become an actress. She always wanted to be an actress on the big screen. That was her dream. But after Lyle was born, Jose told Kitty that she had to quit her job to take care of Lyle. So Jose wanted Kitty to be kind of like the stay-at-home mom and not really have a job. And Jose would be the one who would make all the money in the family. And the family moved to Princeton, New Jersey, where that's where they had Eric about two years later. And when they lived in Princeton, they had a lot of money and wanted people to know it. Jose was very big on being very in your face about his money. 
He always wanted to have the big house and the nice cars and everything at the most expensive top dollar to the point where you knew that he had money. It wasn't that he had money and he was kind of, you know, more quiet about it. He had money and wanted you to know it. And the people who knew the Menendez family said that the boys, Lyle and Eric, were very spoiled since the get-go. Kitty's brother said that he would often tell Kitty to hold the boys accountable for some of the things that they would do and punish them a little bit because they never got punished. They were never really disciplined and Kitty would always come back at him and tell him not to tell her how to parent her kids. These were her sons, her boys, and she was going to do how she pleased. And as far as Jose's relationship with his sons, this was a little bit different. It was very clear to everyone that Jose was going to drill his sons into being as competitive, driven, and as successful as Jose was himself to the point where he didn't care how harsh he had to be about it. This was kind of how Jose lived his life. He knew what he wanted and he went for it. And he knew he wanted his kids to be successful and he wasn't going to stop until they were. And then in 1986, when Lyle was 18 and Eric was 16, Jose relocated his job, or his job relocated him more so, and the family moved to Calabasas, California. And if you know anything about Calabasas, California, it is known for being a very luxurious place and for people to have a very luxurious lifestyle. Jose was a Hollywood executive for at the time, that was his job, and his family was living in a mansion, going to the country clubs, and they were truly living the American dream. And Jose Jose was living it up. Something that was super important to Jose was that for his sons to attend the most prestigious Ivy League schools. So Lyle was accepted into Princeton University. And it was very clear that Lyle wasn't the, you know, picture perfect Princeton University student. He didn't have the best grades or anything like that. But Jose ended up paying Princeton $50,000 to let Lyle into their university, which I mean, if that was done today, he would be in a pretty big scandal. But anyways, moving on. Along with going to Princeton, Lyle and Eric, both of them were extremely talented tennis players from the beginning. That is something that Jose really drilled into them also from a young age. Jose wanted his sons to be at the country clubs, you know, killing the tennis game with the prettiest girls and having, you know, the picture perfect life. And I'm going to keep saying that over and over and you're probably going to get really irritated about it if you haven't already been. But that really is the most important thing to remember here is that Jose didn't care about anything other than being successful and making sure everyone knew he was successful and making sure his sons were successful because his sons were a spitting image of himself and they were a reflection of himself. So if his sons were, you know, disappointments, essentially, he was going to take that extremely personally and not well at all. All. So when Lyle ended up being on academic probation at Princeton, this did not go over well with Jose. Lyle was on academic probation for poor grades and poor attendance. And this was, I mean, this is something super common like that happens your freshman year when a lot of teenagers go off to college because a lot of them don't realize the self-discipline you have to have when you go off to college. I know I was one of them. I just did not make my schedule well. Um, I did not schedule enough time for studying and for things like that, but it's a super common thing that happens and it happened to Lyle at Princeton. 
So he was on academic probation, but then Lyle actually got accused of plagiarism, and this ended up making him suspended from Princeton. And he was suspended for a year, and this, like I said, did not fly well with Jose. So Jose tried to convince the dean to remove the suspension and to lift the suspension to make Lyle be able to return back to Princeton for the year, but the dean was not having it, and he still said that Lyle was still suspended. Regardless of the little hiccup from Princeton and Lyle's suspension, on the outside, I just want to make this super clear. Like I said, I know I keep saying this, but the Menendez family seemed like the picture-perfect family, picture-perfect all-American family that was living the American dream. Jose came over from Cuba when he was 16 and is now making millions of dollars living in one of the most luxurious and affluent cities. This whole situation is a perfect example of that money does not solve everything and does not make all your problems go away. So at this point, Lyle, like I said, was suspended for a year, but their youngest son, Eric, was heading off to UCLA to play tennis. But then things didn't really quite go as planned. It was very clear to neighbors and friends of the Menendezes that the boys were extremely influenced by what Jose thought and what Jose wanted. Kitty and Jose wanted, like I said, the picture-perfect family so much that they controlled their sons to the greatest of lengths. Kitty and Jose would actually do Lyle and Eric's homework for them. That way they would get perfect grades in school, but then it didn't really turn out well when Lyle and Eric had to go take tests in school and would end up failing the test because they haven't been practicing in the homework, which is kind of what tied into Lyle's little hiccup at Princeton with not getting the best grades and then ended up plagiarizing a paper. He didn't know how to do that. Like he was taught his whole life that his parents would do his work for him. So it was really different for him to have to now do things on his own like that. To give you an exact quote of what their relationship with their father was like from Eric's perspective, Eric said that the relationship with his father was quote, brutal, painful, torturous, and yet I admired him because he was so strong. He was everything that success was. And I thought he was the most powerful, brilliant person that I had ever met, end quote. So when the Menendez family moved to Calabasas, they moved into a very affluent, star-studded neighborhood. But here's kind of the problem with these boys and people in general who have so much money or have access to so much money. They really stop at no end, and this kind of led them down a bad path. They actually started burglarizing houses. Jose was super upset about this when he found out, but not for the reasons that you would think. You know, most parents would be super upset that they were burglarizing in general. Jose, though, was upset that they got caught. He said that he didn't want his sons to be known as the boys who got caught for something like this. And he actually went to each house that they burglarized and asked for the amount that was taken out of their homes and paid back the people who had these burglaries happen to them. So not too long after living in Calabasas, the family moved to Beverly Hills, another very affluent, extremely popular for his luxury lifestyle neighborhood. Lyle at the time became super popular with the ladies. He always had girls on his arm, left and right. He was super charismatic and charming, and girls were really captivated by him. Jose, for whatever reason, didn't like or really approve of any of the girls that Lyle dated. Both Jose and Kitty saw Lyle as pretty much basically a disappointment and would tell him that constantly. They saw him as a disappointment for not doing exactly what they wanted him to do, so they would punish him by taking away his credit cards, which he responded to by going out and then stealing his parents' credit cards and buying what he wanted regardless. 
Eric, on the other hand, was seen as a disappointment to his parents in different ways than Lyle. So in this time period, which was, I mean, right now we're talking like the mid to late 80s, being gay was much less acceptable than it is today. Eric's sexuality had been questioned a lot over the years, just even now, but definitely at that point in time, and in particular by Jose. Jose would always call out Eric for being gay and used it as, like, completely used it as a negative connotation, not just kind of completely used it as a negative connotation, and used it as a tool to just tear Eric down. And to this day, Eric says he isn't gay and that he did have girlfriends, which if he did or didn't, and like this is that's my point like if he did or didn't and if he's gay or isn't it shouldn't matter and it doesn't matter whatsoever but it definitely frustrated eric that his father would try and use that against him eric's actually married to a woman now but we will get into that later so let's talk about jose and kitty's marriage for a second because that was not the best either jose was having affairs with multiple different women in different cities that he was cheating on kitty with he had women in new york he had women in la and it wasn't like kitty didn't know about them she just kind of like shut her mouth about it i don't know if it was the money that she liked that she just kind of kept quiet about it and was like you know what he's paying for everything so i'm just gonna kind of keep quiet or what it was but she knew about it and jose also used prostitute services in los angeles people who personally knew kitty and jose said that they were rarely affectionate with each other and neighbors and friends of theirs said that they never saw them touch each other or show the slightest bit of affection at all it was very clear to a lot of people that kitty was really falling into a downward spiral. She started drinking a lot, had very much alcoholic tendencies. Her husband was cheating on her and he basically just used Kitty as like his maid. Basically, she just kind of cleaned the house and drove in places and that was that. And her sons, in her mind, were turning into criminals. Like they were burglarizing houses. So she thinks she has a cheating husband and criminal sons. So life's really not going too great for her at this point. According to Lyle, he said that his relationship with his mother was really difficult because clearly she was someone who was dealing with a lot of pain. She was an alcoholic and according to Lyle, very suicidal. And Eric said that when he looked at his mother, he just saw pain and hurt and there was no communication whatsoever. And the boys also say that she was physically and emotionally abused by Jose constantly. Jose Menendez was described as someone you should be afraid of. And I want to tell this little side story before going into the murder. I know you're like, Savannah, get freaking to it. But I'm just going to tell this little side story because I think it's so telling. And I don't know why this isn't talked about more. Because when I saw it on this documentary that I watched, I literally had to rewind it because they just kind of glanced over this. And I was like, what? So basically, according to one of the Menendez's neighbors, the Menendez family had a pet ferret. This neighbor said, that they saw this ferret every time that they went over to the house this ferret was like a staple in the family and one day the neighbor went over and realized that the ferret wasn't there anymore and according to kitty the ferret had died now the menendez family had dogs and this neighbor described the dogs to be pretty aggressive dogs and one in particular she described as a big black dog i wasn't able to figure out what kind of dog it was but she just said it was big and black and for whatever reason jose was convinced convinced that the dog was the one who killed the ferret. Now, one day, one of the boys had gone into the refrigerator to get something to eat, and when he opened the fridge, he found the head of the dog in the fridge. 
the head of the dog in the fridge. And I don't know why this is something that is so glanced over because when people talk about next level narcissists and psychopaths and things like that, one of the first things that you learn is abuse of animals is one of the very first signs of someone who could have psychopathic tendencies. And the fact that the head of their dog was in their freezer is so insane to me and no one really talks about it. But besides the fact that this is just absolutely insanity, this is just another example of a picket fence family on the outside that had a lot of demons behind closed doors. Something interesting, I guess you could call it, or better yet, foreshadowing onto the future is that Eric and Lyle, but more so Eric in particular, started writing these like scripted out murder mystery stories. And Eric was the one who actually wrote one of these stories about a son who murders his parents for the motive of getting life insurance money. Now, he brought this story to some of his friends and none of them knew like why Eric wrote this or what the whole deal was. They certainly didn't think this was going to end up being his future or, you know, foreshadowing into what was going to happen. But when they saw this, they were just like, oh, like, that's cool. Like you're writing about like murder mysteries and things like that. But like I said, no one thought that this would be his future. So one day, Lyle and his mother Kitty got into a really emotional argument. Eric was a little bit down the hall and overheard this argument, and not too long after it, Eric and Lyle sat down together, and Eric had revealed something to Lyle. Eric told Lyle, Dad has been doing things to me. Lyle was extremely like completely in shock and taken aback by what his brother had just said, but not for the reason of what you might think. Lyle was shocked because according to him, this had actually been happening to him as well. The difference in the abuse of the boys is that with Lyle, it had started way before Lyle was ever a teenager. According to Lyle, his father started sexually molesting him at the age of about seven to eight years old. A lot of people, though, didn't believe it, or at least didn't want to believe it. Their own mother being one of those people and their uncle being another one of those people. According to Kitty's brother, the boys' uncle, he says that there is no way in hell that there is ever any abuse in that household. The boys were never abused by Kitty, and they were never abused by Jose. But Lyle's cousin came forward after all of this was said and done and said that Lyle, when he was about eight years old, told her that he was afraid to sleep in his own room because his dad would come in and inappropriate appropriately touch him. She said that she immediately went to Kitty when Lyle told her this, but Kitty did not want to hear it and did not want to believe it. And then another one of Lyle and Eric's cousins, when this all was said and done, came out and said that when Lyle was 10 years old, he came to him and told him that his dad was molesting him and asked him to swear that he would never tell anybody. According to Eric, one day he was walking down the hallway of his house, super upset and crying when he ran into his mother who was drinking on the couch. Kitty had asked him what was wrong and Eric said, nothing, you wouldn't understand. Kitty then told Eric that of course she would understand and what do you think, I'm stupid, is what Eric said that she said. And that is when Eric told Kitty about the abuse that his father was enduring on him. And this was really the first time that Eric had opened up fully to Kitty about this. And when Eric told Kitty, he said that he was just in complete disgust with her response. 
Kitty said that she had known about the abuse the whole time for their whole life. And Lyle at this point ended up coming into the conversation and asked his mother, are you going to keep letting him do this to us? Which Kitty replied, you both are a disappointment to the family. So kind of completely disregarding what they had just told her, which obviously made the boys extremely upset and extremely aggravated and just kind of felt stuck like they were never going to be able to get out of this. Because you might think, like, yes, this is happening through the boys' teenage years. Like, why wouldn't they tell someone? Like, why wouldn't they just say something to someone? Because then they could get out of this. Or why wouldn't they just leave? Like, why would they just, why would they let it happen? I don't think that it's, you can really judge this, you know, until you're in a situation like this. This kind of goes back to the, like, I think about the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case. Like, you can never really judge this if you're not in it. And this is one of those things where, like, you can't judge it if you're not in it. We have no idea what these boys were feeling during this time and there is a counter argument and just kind of did this even really happen question that I'm going to get into later and kind of talk more in detail about but I just want to say like you can't judge what happened or what they're feeling or what they're saying because we have no idea unless you were in that exact situation why they wouldn't get up and why they wouldn't just walk out why they wouldn't fight back their father was super controlling super manipulative and knew how to get what he wanted and stopped at no lengths to get what he wanted Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. So now let's get to Sunday, August 20th, 1989, the night that Jose and Kitty were murdered. Jose and Kitty were sitting on their couch in their den at night watching TV when Lyle and Eric entered the den at the same time with their shotguns and just started firing. Jose was shot in the back of his head and shot again four more times on his body. And Kitty, who was actually asleep on the couch, obviously woke up from the sound of the shots and was shot in the leg. And as she ran towards the hallway, she ended up slipping in her own blood, which caused her to fall. And that's when she was shot several more times in the arms, chest, and her face which basically left her unrecognizable. Jose and Kitty were both shot in their kneecaps, which was actually something strategic that the boys planned out pretty much because they were going to play it off like it was a mafia killing because if they both had shots in their kneecaps, there was like something where like that was connected to mafias or something like that. Eric and Lyle were the ones who had called 911 actually and beforehand the two of them had already decided that they were going to act like they had no idea what was going on and they were not going to admit to the crimes and they were going to go into this as the victims and at first this pretty much worked. The police did look at the brothers as victims. They looked at them as two boys who had just lost their parents through a brutal murder and little did the police know that the boys actually had the murder weapons in their cars and gun 
gun residue all over their hands, but the police did not question them the first night. The police said that they didn't want to push them and pressure them into thinking that they thought that they did this and that they were guilty because clearly they were just going through so much trauma already. A little sarcasm there if you can catch that. Lyle and Eric's alibi that night is that the two of them went out to a movie and then when they came back, they found their parents murdered in their home. And at first, like I said, that alibi worked. The boys didn't end up getting a life insurance policy for about $400,000 and the two of them went on a huge spending shopping spree. They bought a Porsche, they bought a Rolex, and they even bought a restaurant in New Jersey. When the police started their investigation, they did first look into organized crimes and the theory that this was a mafia that committed this murder, but soon realized that it was a dead end. One of Eric's friends named Craig, who was a childhood friend of Eric, they went to high school together, had heard about the murders on TV and called Eric to see if he was okay and wanted to get together or meet up to just kind of talk. And Eric said, sure. So the two of them got together and they ended up playing a game of chess. Craig said that while they were playing this game of chess, Eric looked up at him and said, do you want to know what really happened? To which Craig replied yes, and after that, Craig said he heard a conversation that changed his life forever. According to Craig, in this conversation, Eric confessed to the entire murder. He told Craig where the blood splattered on the walls when he shot his parents and the gruesome details of it all. At this point, Craig said that he was stuck in a major moral dilemma with what to do, because on one hand, this was his childhood friend he had known for years, but on the other hand, his childhood friend just told him that he murdered his parents. Eric also confessed his crime to his psychologist, Dr. Jerome Ozeal, I believe is his last name, and when he confessed this, Eric and Lyle came in together to Jerome Ozeal's office and confessed the murder, not knowing that they were being recorded by their psychologist. Jerome ended up telling the mistress about the boys' confession and said that if anything ever happened to him, which I find this odd, but he said if anything ever happened to him, to take the tapes that he had recorded the boys on to the police. And then before anything ever really could happen to him, she herself went to the police and told them about the brothers' involvement. This is what led to Lyle's arrest on March 8th, 1990. And then three days after Lyle's arrest on March 11th, Eric actually turned himself in. And when it became public that the boys were arrested for this, everyone was in absolute shock because think about it, this entire time we've been talking about this quote unquote, perfect family on the outside, picket fence family, white collared family, like they were the epitome of the American dream. And then this happens to them and their sons are now arrested for their parents' murder. Let's talk about the trial for a minute because this trial was blown up on the media everywhere. Everyone was watching this trial and that is why this case became so popular. The boys did confess to the murder of their parents but claimed that it was because they had been sexually molested by their father for years on end and that was their motive in this. The prosecution really tried to dive into that this was pure money motive, that they only wanted the life insurance policy because their parents didn't put them on the will because they saw them as such disappointments. Leslie Abrams was the defense lawyer for Eric Menendez and she defended Eric to no end. She was absolutely ruthless and had the reputation of doing whatever she had to do to win her trial. 
But something the prosecution did have a little bit of an upper hand on is that they focused a lot on Kitty and why the boys had to kill their mother if it was their father who was the one who was molesting them all along. The prosecution really painted the picture of two spoiled rich kids who were in a hurry to get their parents' life insurance money. And again, Kitty suffered many more shots than Jose, and the boys basically said that they were just trying to put their mother out of her misery, but the prosecution really took this advantage of, you know, why did you have to kill her? Why did you have to kill her so much more brutally than you did your father, who apparently, according to you guys, has been sexually molesting you for years and years? The boys just kind of responded to that by saying that they just went in, opened fired didn't really look twice at who or what they were firing at they just went in and just free fired basically and according to Lyle he said that Jose figured out that Lyle and Eric had actually exchanged stories and realized that they were going through the same thing and Jose told Lyle you're going to tell people and I'm not going to let that happen Eric was actually the first one to confess on the stand to the sexual abuse he was enduring by Jose. And when he confessed this, you guys, it changed the entire trial. It turned everything upside down. According to the prosecutor, she said that you could hear a pin drop in that room when Eric said that his father had been molesting him. And Eric was extremely emotional during his testimony. He was crying. He was trying to catch his breath. He was almost, he was very ashamed, not even almost ashamed. He was ashamed. He didn't want to talk about this. And then when Lyle took the stand and was asked about the molestation and how it began, Lyle explained in detail what went on behind closed doors and it shocked everyone. Lyle said that his father would fondle him and tell Lyle to do the same to him and that they would undress each other. Lyle said that his father would take him into the bathroom and would begin to guide him through different sexual acts. He said that he used different objects like a toothbrush and a razor on him. And then Lyle actually confessed to something that shocked everyone. Lyle confessed that he would actually take Eric out to the woods multiple times and that he would take a toothbrush with him and confess to doing acts on Eric the same way that his father did acts on him. There was not a dry eye in this room, you guys. Eric was crying while listening to Lyle confess about this because these were details that no one had ever heard before. So everyone was just in complete shock because like I said, you guys, this was an affluent family who just appeared to have no problems, that money solved everything. You know, you had these two men, even in trial, sitting with like their sweaters and their collared shirts, like still looking perfect. But there was so much more going on that no one saw. And this was a perfect example of it and you could tell everyone was saying that Eric was the real persuader in this sense because yeah Lyle was talking about it on the stand he was crying through telling these stories but Eric was sitting there hearing this again and almost like he had to relive it he had this vein that was just popping out of his forehead and you could tell it was just like he was reliving the memories over in his head and everyone said like that's how a victim acts you know like that's not acting like this actually happened it was clear to a lot of people that when these boys were talking about the abuse and their father raping them when they were 18 years old, people believed them. That wasn't fake. You could tell in the moment that these were victims of something that they were so ashamed of. 
Eric said on the stand that the only thing he could think about the summer of 1989 before August and before the murders was college because when he went to college, his father couldn't rape him anymore. Lyle confessed on the stand to sleeping in his parents' room and in his parents' bed sometimes when he was about 11 years old and he would actually end up inappropriately touching his own mother. He said that when his mother went to sleep, he would touch her everywhere. One of the jurors said that these boys either had to be the best actors in the world or this was a true story. There was another juror who said that these two terrorist parents built two bombs that blew up and killed them, which is like an extremely powerful statement that I just think is very telling. At the end of the first trial, the jury was unable to come to a decision, so it was declared a mistrial. The jury deliberated for 25 days, which drove people crazy because a lot of people thought, like, they killed their parents. They confessed to killing their parents. Everyone knew they killed their parents, so what do you need to, you know, deliberate for 25 days for? Why are you coming to an inconclusive result? But then there was a second trial. And this trial was completely different than the first, because unlike the first trial, the first trial was recorded and put on television for the world to see. But in the second trial, there were no cameras allowed this time around. Also, the judge ruled for certain defense evidence to not be allowed. So the jury did not hear anything about the family history, which was almost like the most important component of the first trial because it shows a motive, you know? It shows why the boys ended up doing what they did. So all the jury really saw is two men who killed their parents and that was it. There was no evidence, there was no motive, there was no nothing other than two men killed their parents, that's done. And obviously anyone who just gets that information is gonna be like, all right, yeah, guilty, first degree, death penalty. And so at the end of the second trial, both brothers were convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Eric and Lyle said that when they first heard the verdict, the first thing they thought of was that they were going to spend the rest of their life in prison without the possibility of ever being freed. And that is what has happened to this day. They are now in their late 40s, I believe. Lyle might be in his 50s by now, but I know that they are at least in their late 40s. They are still in prison and they are not getting out ever. Eric and Lyle have actually both gotten married in prison to women they met while in prison. So they were fans, basically, is who they married. Eric married a woman named Tammy in 1999. And Tammy says that Eric is the most sensitive, kind man who is there for her 1,000%. And even though he's not able to offer her certain things that a husband would be, like physical things like that, he is 100% there for her emotionally, which is something that she's never experienced before. Lyle, on the other hand, married a woman named Anna Erickson in 1996, but the two of them got divorced in 2001. He then married again in 2003 to a woman named Rebecca Sneed, who met Lyle through being pen pals with each other, and the two of them now have two kids. Both Lyle and Eric, like I said, are still in prison, so Lyle still has children while being imprisoned. I want to talk about something real quick that I found very interesting. Um, So like I said, I was watching a documentary on the Menendez brothers, and there was something that a journalist said while being interviewed that definitely raised my eyebrows, definitely got my attention, and I want to kind of pick your guys' brains about it a little bit. So this journalist basically said that if the Menendez brothers were the Menendez sisters, that they would be walking free today and what he meant by that is basically you know no one likes to hear 
And no one really wants to believe, especially at that point in time, that a father would rape his sons. No one wants to believe that. No one wants to talk about it. Super taboo. Boys being molested, especially at that time, was not as publicly talked about as girls being molested. Clearly, there is something that happened in these boys' lives who seem to have everything, seem to have had it made, that turned them into murderers, or at least people who are able to murder their parents. Like I said, boys being molested, especially by their father, being raped by their father, that's something that no one wants to talk about. No one wants to believe is true. And the whole point I'm trying to make here and just kind of pick your guys' brains about is what would have happened if Lyle and Eric were girls? Would there be a different outcome? Because girls being molested is something that's far more talked about than boys being molested. Because especially at that time, hearing that two young girls are being molested and raped by their father all throughout their lives, and then those two girls end up killing their father. We've seen a lot more circumstances and a lot more examples of people feeling sympathy for that circumstance, especially, you know, and not making up stories of, oh, they were just out for their money and out for this and out for that. Mind you, there are very questionable things that have been done here. The boys going out and buying all these extravagant gifts and things and watches and cars and restaurants, like that's so obscure. Like four days after your parents are murdered to go out and buy those things. Like, yes, that's bizarre. Without a doubt, that's bizarre. And definitely shows a lack of, you know, emotion and feeling that you're, if you're able to do those types of things. So now we're going to do something that's a little bit different that I've never actually done here on my podcast, but I'm going to start incorporating it with each episode. So I am super interested in knowing what you guys think about the cases that I cover and your guys' input on things like that. So what I'm going to start to do and that I'm doing and starting in this case is I asked you guys your opinion, what you guys think happened in this case, what you guys think about the whole situation. And I'm going to read off some of your guys' inputs right now. I am going to keep these anonymous, but we're going to go through some of them right now. The first one says, I've actually been really wanting to hear about this case because there are pieces of this case that just don't add up to me and others may have different opinions, but something just seems off. Can't wait to hear it. Well, I hope that this broke down more information for you. I know that there was a lot of information thrown out in this case with, you know, what the boys said, a lot of he said, she said, and different things like that. But I hope this was able to break it down more for you in a more concise way. I do agree with you completely that there are a lot of things that just don't add up in this case, you know, from, like I said, the boys spending the life insurance money, the, them not being put in the will. Those are all things that could lead you to the motive of, yeah, they did this because they wanted life insurance money. They knew they weren't getting any money from their parents' will. Their house, their parents' house alone cost about $14 million, I think it was. So that's a lot of money that they would be getting. So yeah, in that sense, I could totally see how people would be like, the motive 100% here is life insurance money. No question about it. There are pieces that just don't add up here. So I agree with that completely. The next one that I'm going to be reading says, this is one of those cases that just scopes the landscape of the criminal justice system. Were they actually abused? If so, by whom? Does that excuse what they did? No, definitely not. Then you get into the forensic psychology. Was it nature or nurture that came into play? I personally believe, and this is something that I am just going to say just because it's my personal opinion. Before going into this case, I had heard that they like had been abused used and you know I didn't really know the details of it like I said I just kind of knew the basic overview of this case going in and doing really doing the research on this I 100% believe that they were abused and I I personally think it was by their father does that excuse 
what they did? Absolutely not. They still killed their parents. That's the fact. They killed their parents. And it is bizarre to me, you know, the way they killed their mom and how brutal they killed their mom. Much more brutal than their father was murdered. Their mother was murdered in a much more brutal way. I don't know if they took the anger out on their mom because she knew about it and she didn't do anything to stop it. I don't think that it was just because they wanted to put her out of her misery. I think that there was, you know, a much more deeper underlying motive there. The whole nature or nurture thing, you know, I think that, like I said, something happened in these boys' lives or these men's lives. They're not boys anymore. Something happened that turned them into murderers. Something happened where that switch flipped and they decided to kill their parents. In my personal opinion, it's weird. Like, I just can never see, like, money being that big of a motive to where you are going to then go kill your parents. Like, that's where I struggle with this is, like, really? Like, you're going to kill your parents over money? Like, is it really worth that much to you? Um, That's the only reason I kind of don't fully believe that. Like, that's just me. But I know that there are people out there who do that. They kill people for money. We've seen it before. This isn't anything different. But these boys on the outside had everything. Like, they had it made. They were going to Princeton. They were amazing at tennis. Their father was giving them cars and, you know, driving them to school in limos. Like, this is just not your average family, clearly. I do believe on certain things that they are exaggerating, you know, like when they say that I read somewhere that they said that they were afraid that their parents were going to kill them. I don't really believe that, or at least I have a harder time believing that. Um, But when it comes to the abuse that they talked about, you know, there are certain things that you can't fake and like I said one of those jurors said that they either had to be the best actors in the world or they were telling the truth and on certain things I do believe that they were telling the truth but respect your opinion 100% I totally get where you're coming from on certain aspects of that someone says it kind of reminds me of the Gypsy Rose Blanchard and her mother case which if you guys don't know I have a whole episode on Gypsy Rose and her mother Dee Dee Blanchard and that whole situation you should go listen to it if you haven't I totally agree I think that this is just in a different setting um Dee Dee in the situation was Jose and Gypsy Rose was Eric and Lyle and I think that this is another situation of power play and I think this is another situation of control a parent having so much control of their children to who they hang out with, who their friends are, who they date, what they do in their lives, you know, the saying that they are the biggest disappointments ever, you know, tearing them down for their sexuality. It's just ridiculous. And so I can definitely agree. I definitely agree with you when you say that this reminds you of that case. It reminded me of that case too when I was doing my research. And the last one I'm going to mention is someone who said they shouldn't have gotten life in prison. Yes, murder is murder and sexual assault is sexual assault, but they shouldn't have gotten life. Obviously, the verdict has already been given. They've already been charged. They've already been, you know, sentenced to life in prison. So nothing can be changed there. But personally, in my opinion, I agree with you. If this is what actually happened, which, like I said, you know, I am kind of leaning towards it did. I do believe that they were abused by someone. And I do kind of believe it was their father. I do believe it was Jose. And in that sense, it's like, okay, well, yes, they murdered their parents. That we know. That is a fact. But do they deserve life in prison for everything that they've endured? If they've endured sexual abuse for, you know, mainly their entire lives up until this point. Like, I don't know if I fully agree with that. You know, Gypsy Rose killed her mom after abuse and mental and physical abuse. And she's not serving life. She's serving about 10 years. And Lyle and Eric say that they went through sexual abuse and then they ended up murdering their parents. And now they have life. So that's another thing that kind of ties into this whole theory of if Lyle and Eric were girls, would they have had the same outcome? Um, It's just very interesting to think about sometimes. 
Then again, if it's not true, if they never got abused in their entire life, and this was just all a, you know, plot to have the sympathy card thrown at them, yes, they deserve life in prison, no doubt. But like I said, I'm not quite sure that's the case. All right, you guys, that is the end of this Killer Instinct episode. Thank you so much for tuning in with me this week. If you are new here, make sure you go and hit that follow button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly episodes here on Killer Instinct, and I would love to hear your feedback on this week's episode. So make sure you either DM me on Instagram or Twitter. It's just at Savannah Brimer on both socials. Also, if you have any case suggestions or just any comments about this week's case or any case I've covered, you can go ahead and email killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week for another episode of Killer Instinct. I will see you next week and stay safe.